Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your love, your grace, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us. You've called us your own, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the privilege and the honor, Father, to call you Father, Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've uh, brought us into your household, Lord God. And uh, we pray this morning, Lord, as we uh, delve into your, your written word, Father, that reveals to us the living word, Lord, that we might... You might empty our, our hearts and minds, and, and Lord, and just to take away any distractions, Father, and help us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Father, to meditate on your truths, on your word, Father. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, this morning that you might bless me, Father, that I might be a blessing to your people, to your church, Father. Lord, we, uh, we pray this morning, Lord God, we know that, Father, we, we need you, Father, for salvation, Lord. We need you for sanctification, Father. We need you for glorification, Father. We need you. We're a needy people, Father, and we need you this morning, Father. We'd ask that you'd visit us, Lord, that you'd bless us, Father, you'd enrich us in your word, Lord. And, and Father, I pray this. I need you this morning, Lord God. I, I ask that you may fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that I might be a blessing to your people, Lord, that they may walk out of here changed, renewed, Father, and you may receive all glory, praise, and honor this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Anxiety and stress, it's a very common term. It's not something you really have to explain. It's something we all face in everyday life, whether you're a young toddler, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, whether you're a grandparent, a parent, single, whatever it may be, whatever stage of life you're in, it's a certainty of life. In fact, it's almost a certainty of everyday life. And the thing is, you know, I mean, you look at the world today, there's all these sort of, you know, stories with, you know, half our nation sort of on fire and, and... and if it's not burning, then there's this howl and storm and flooding, and, and it's one extreme or the other. And you know, you turn on the news, and it's it's literally disaster after disaster. The trade war between you know the, the states and, and China, and the implications that might have in our economy, the implications, the impact on tourism it's having in our economy, what that means for us next. Housing boom, housing bust, all, all these sorts of things. And you just, I mean, you literally you, you you read an article, you turn on the news today, and, and there's there's more than enough reasons just to to get you an edge. And if that's not enough, there's, you know, there's the school or the workplace. You know, I, was, um, I was reading this, this article by this Christian author, and he's talking about how you know, technology today and how you know, technology is supposed to sort of you know, be this wonderful thing and how it helps us and assists our everyday life, right? And makes life convenient. It does. I mean, you know, the microwave, you can heat up something in 30 seconds. How great is that? You know, back in the day, you used to boil milk for your children. You know, five, ten minutes later, your baby's there crying, but... Now, there's all these sorts of things that technology does, and it does it improves our life. But he also talks about the impact of technology. He says what, what it does is, in reality, particularly from a workplace and study perspective, is it compresses time. And the illustration he gives, he goes, once upon a time, using the workplace as an example, he goes, if you wanted to engage with your manager or your boss, you'd, you'd go through internal mail, you'd send a, a memo, and that memo would take a day or two to arrive. The manager would have about two or three days to think about it and then you know, write your memo back. And then a week later, you'd have a response, a considered response, and you'd take your action accordingly. Today, you receive an email, and if within five minutes you haven't responded, you're getting calls and you're getting another email, and, it's, and you're expected to answer immediately. No time to sit there and ponder and have a considered response to anything. And so what it does is the number of activities that you are required to do increases exponentially, and it compresses time. Byproducts, stress, anxiety in the workplace in your studies, in our social relationships, you know, Facebook and Instagram today, you, you put something up, you, in five minutes you're looking, did they like it, don't they like it, why has no one responded, why is there no comments, and just, just posting something gives you anxiety. Or you look at others, like, they, they look like they're having a good time, I, I, should have gone, I should have gone on that trip with them, I should have gone there, I, I, and you start, life is full of it, no matter what, where you look, no matter where you go, 
in our recreation, in our profession. And the thing is, it's the thing, anxiety in, in, that leads to depression, it actually has physical impacts. It manifests itself physically. For some people, it's, you know, you can't sleep at night, causes you know, rapid weight gain, weight loss. You know, your body starts to give you sort of you know, clues. You start experiencing mood swings, you know, really rapid mood swings. You know, constant exhaustion. Some will get a really nervous eye twitch that, you know, I kind of got this morning. Forgive me for that. Health issues from stress. You know, stress is what, the biggest killer. Blood pressure and whatnot. You get moments of panic, of feeling overwhelmed. People have insomnia. Leads to depression. In fact, Proverbs, Proverbs 12.25 says that anxiety in the heart leads to depression. Scripture tells us that. You know, it brings on thoughts about dying for a Christian and an inordinate interest in the rapture. Christ come again quickly. Let's just I want this to end. Leads to reckless driving. It leads to things like a victim mentality. You know, poor me. You know, it's it's the world has done so wrong by me and, and I'm the victim here. Leads to chronic sickness. Leads to people med- you know, sort of try remedy it through going in sort of chronic spend- spending, credit card debts, and all these sorts of things to overcome anxiety and depression. It leads to excessive use of either alcohol or caffeine or substance abuse. In fact, the you know the number one prescription drug today is antidepressants. Antidepressants. It's just a sign of what society is almost on the brink. And the thing is, I don't know what it is for you, but what is it that's on your mind all the time? What is it for you that wakes you up at night or maybe keeps you up at night? What is it that causes that anxiety and stress in your life? And the thing is, when when people face these sorts of issues, there's three ways that people respond. The first is, the saddest thing is that people give up. People give up, they surrender. Thoughts of hopelessness and loss and they isolate themselves, isolate themselves from their relationships, from God, from the people that they love. And this often leads to thoughts of suicide. The second response is people adopt this sort of positive self-help sort of you know, mentality about, you know, pick yourself up, speak life into yourself. You can be your own saviour. You can, you know, just love yourself. Look within yourself for the answer. And, you know, sadly, this sort of mentality has made its way into the church, you know, and it's, it's rooted in idolatry. It makes its way into Genesis 1, you know, what, what, what the serpent said to Eve. You can be like God. You can be God. Find the answer within yourself. Look at how good you are. Be your own saviour. And there's a third approach. And the third approach is exclusive to Christians. And that's what I'm going to focus on mostly this morning. I'm going to be talking to believers this morning, those that are in Christ. And exclusive to Christians. And that's where you bring your fear and your anxiety to the Lord. You do what non-Christians can't do. And that is to turn to a loving Father and his scripture for an answer and response. Now, I want to explore what that means this morning. I want to explore practically 
what that means in the Christian life and what that actually looks like. And if you have your Bibles with me, it's, um, I think in your Bible, it's page uh, 1163, 1163, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 4 to 7 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes to the church of Philippi and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's begin in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. You see, Paul, this isn't some sort of naivety, sort of self-help sort of thing that, you know, just, it's all good. The world's a great place. Just be happy all the time. Nothing to worry about. Get over it. Just get, be happy. It's, it's all Paul's saying. See, Paul went through immense adversity in his life. You see, he's not trying to say to this church at Philippi that the world's just a good place and get over it. In fact, the world's a very bad place. We live in a fallen world, riddled with sin, riddled with hurt and suffering, as a byproduct and consequence of sin. But he tells them to rejoice in what? In the Lord always. You see, there's a focus point to that rejoice. That even though the world might not be a good place, that our God is good. That our God is always good. And our God is always still at work. No matter how bad things may seem, he's sovereign and he's in control. His hand is at work. And you see, it's not that everything changes and the, all the bad goes away and just get over it. It's about maintaining perspective and seeing God in and through whatever may be causing anxiety or stress. You see, I used to think that life has its seasons, right? Right? It's got its good seasons and its bad seasons. You got your summer and your winter. You take the good with the bad. You ride the bad seasons and you enjoy the good seasons. But as I got older, I realized that it's both actually run in parallel. They're not mutually exclusive. It's not one or the other. More often, it's both together. It's like two trains that are running in parallel. But as a Christian, I can rejoice in the good. I can rejoice in God and seeing God at work and maintain a perspective. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. You maintain your focus on what God is doing in and through you, no matter the circumstance. You see, we, we see this in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph was a, as a young man, book of Genesis, he was sold by his siblings into slavery. You know, became a servant in Potter's house, and out of his faithfulness to God, he went to jail for many years. And prisons weren't a nice place back then. And the thing is, when God made him second to Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men alive in the world, you know what he says to his brothers as he reconciled? He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, I see the two trains going side by side, but I'm focusing on God's purpose and plan. In fact, you see that in his life. His firstborn, he calls Manasseh. Yes, because God made me forget all my hardship and all. 
You see this in the life of Paul and Silas as they're in prison. Now, can I tell you, Roman prisons aren't like the prisons we have today. You get three meals a day at gym and Netflix. It wasn't a pleasant place to be. And they're singing praises and worship. After they've been belted and bruised, and they're singing praise and worship. Because they're not thinking, oh, yeah, gee, there was a good place, and I love prison. Got a healthcare program here, right? They're thinking, my God is good, and He's at work, and I rejoice in that. And I love because as they're rejoicing, God joins in, right? And the whole prison starts shaking. He rejoices with them. You see, Paul writes to this church, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Then he repeats it again, and again I will say, Rejoice. Twice he gives the command. But why rejoice? Why rejoice? Why is it so important to to rejoice? You see, let me ask you, what happens when you're stressed or exhausted or anxious about something? Your emotions start going haywire, don't they? You're angry, you're frustrated, you're upset. Your emotions are just incredibly volatile. And they start dictating your actions. Your emotions start dictating what you do. And and because of their volatility, your actions start becoming volatile, don't they? It's a byproduct of anxiety. And the truth is there are some people that, you know, if someone's unhappy with them, their whole life falls apart. Their whole world falls apart. You see, verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, this word for some translations is moderation, reasonableness, patience, or appropriateness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You know what that means? That means as Christians, because we're rejoicing in the Lord always, our emotions aren't up and down, they don't dictate our behavior. That in other words, we don't lose control, we don't get angry, we don't become short with people, we don't crack under pressure. Because we're rejoicing in the Lord always. You see the byproduct of that command? He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and then the, the result of that is you can then let your reason, your testimony through your life, let your reasonless be known to everyone. Then he gets into verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. See, the truth is we're we're often anxious in the things that we're most immature about. The things that we really haven't developed or experienced or trusted someone or something in. You know, it's for example, like you know, if you exams, exam time during studies. Those subjects where you know inside out, they're okay. But it's those subjects that you sort of struggle with. No matter how much time you spend, you're anxious the night before, aren't you? Sometimes in the lead up to. Even your workplace. There are some tasks in your role and your job that you can knock out of the ballpark without a problem. But there are other tasks that, that you get given that you think, well, hold on, I need to spend a bit more time here. And there's sometimes that anxiety that comes with it, isn't there? Because there's that immaturity with it. I, I haven't developed the skill yet. And it's somewhat similar in our Christian life. You see, the way we are with God, 
We can trust God in some things. When it comes to salvation, absolutely we trust God, right? I mean, that's why he died on the cross. When it comes to my finances, when it comes to my health, well, hold on, Lord. I don't know. I've got to take some control here, right? I'm not, not, not touting for a prosperity gospel, God forbid, but, but trusting in the Lord, in a sovereign God. We trust him for salvation. What about our sanctification? What about being changed into the image and likeness of God? What about the, just the basic everyday troubles that we face? You see, salvation, I love the way one preacher said it. He goes, it's, it's like a box that you get when you're saved. And, and you open up that box and you draw salvation out of it. But you see, grace is not just for salvation. Grace is for sanctification. Because when I face hardship, when I face anxiety, when I'm struggling with a sin, when I'm struggling to... to overcome something. I go into that same box that I got salvation out of. I get strength to endure and I get grace upon grace. And that's why Peter says, grow in the grace of God. We're to turn to God and trust in God in all things. See, knowledge often drives what we're most anxious about. You see, it's notice the way Paul writes this. He doesn't say there's nothing to be anxious about. Because the world is full of reasons for anxiety, right? It's full of it. We live in a fallen world. But he says, just don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. He doesn't say, there's, there's, just get over it. Stop sucking. Just you know, pick yourself up. He says, don't be anxious for anything. And you see, there's two ways you can take this. This and almost any other command in Scripture. You can take this as God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, don't be anxious, get over it. Just stop, stop worrying. Just stop. As a distant father, as a distant God is just commanding you just to pick yourself up and just to get over it, right? Or... You can see it as an invitation from a loving father. You see, I've got four children, as you heard this morning. And I see plenty of parents here. Let me ask you as a parent, when your child's upset, they're distraught about something, who adopts the approach of just, stop it, stop it, just stop crying and just go to your room? Who does that? It's pretty bad parenting advice if you, if you do who tries this approach? Who gets down to their level, gives them a hug and says, what's wrong? Talk to me about it. You see, if you see it as an invitation from God, and the truth is, if you don't understand the Father heart of God, then you're missing some of the best part of the Christian life. You see, God's heart is a Father's heart. And when you're anxious, it's not a father yelling at you to get over it. It's a loving father who gets down to your level and says, I love you, my child. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to me about it. You see, when you hear it this way, it changes it. And in fact, look at what Paul writes in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You see, he, he wants you to place worrying with praying. There's an exchange that takes place. 
It's God's invitation to conversation. He's saying, if you're worried about something, come talk to me about it. I want to hear about it. I love you. I want to hear what's concerning you, what's causing your anxiety and stress. Come talk to a sovereign and creator God, who the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, that the earth is not worthy to be his footstool, that the heaven cannot contain his glory. And he invites you to talk to him about what's causing your anxiety and stress. You see, even the world understands this. If you go to counseling, you know what they do? They encourage you to talk about your problems because as you talk through them, they lose their power over you. But we have a mighty counselor. We've got a counselor in Christ. We've got a loving father, the creator of all, and he invites us to talk to him about our anxieties, our concerns. And like a parent talks to a child, God talks to us. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but talk to me about everything. It's God's invitation to conversation. You know, I I struggled for many years in my early Christian life with this concept of prayer. I used to think to myself, well, hold on. If, If God is God and he's sovereign over everything, then what's the point of my praying? He knows it all anyway, right? He knows what's going to happen. What's the point? I don't have time to exposit it all, but I'll give you a, a quick answer. You see, more often than not, prayer is not about God or changing God to suit my needs. It's about changing me to suit God's needs. It's not bringing God onto my agenda, but it's about me coming onto his agenda. See, God doesn't need our prayer. God is perfect within himself in the triune Godhead. He's complete with himself. He doesn't need anything from you and me. He doesn't need our prayer. Prayer is more for us than it is for him. It's an opportunity to converse with our Savior, our Father, our King, our Lord. It's a tool that he gives us. It's a privilege we have. Yet many of us see it as a burden. It's a privilege that he gives us. He doesn't need us to pray. Yeah, and, and you see this, this, this concept of, of prayer being a tool for you and me, a prayer being a tool of us moving on to God's agenda. The most beautiful illustration of it is, is in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was there fasting for 21 days. And he's concerned about his people, the sin of his people, and the, the outcome of the nation of Israel. And the angel Gabriel comes to him and he says, I desire to come to you beforehand. And what does God do? What's the message that he gives him? Over the next two chapters, what's the message he gives him? He says, okay, well, you know what? You've prayed now. I'm going to destroy Babylon. I'm going to make Israel the kingdom of themselves, and you can be their king, Daniel. Is that what he does? Absolutely not. Does he fix all his problems and make it all go away and kill the Babylonians and the the Persians and the Greeks and and just destroy everything? No, God comes in and he gives Daniel an insight into his purpose and to his plan. And Daniel has moved onto God's agenda. And Daniel understands, gets a glimpse of the purpose and plan that God has. And he's comforted from it. You see, when we pray, we're talking to our dad who understands things far better than we do. And it gives us insight and it allows us to move onto his agenda. 
to move on to his sovereign purpose and plan. Prayer is a tool for you and me. Yeah, I think for many of us, we don't, there's other practical aspects to prayer that we don't realize. The truth is, when we pray and talk to a loving Father, it prevents gossip in the church because we unburden ourselves talking to God. I don't go to this other person thinking, did you see what they did? I can't, come on, did you hear what they said? Look at that person, did you see what, what they were? And he just goes, and he starts tearing the church apart, doesn't it? It prevents gossip because you're talking to your father. It builds intimacy with God. It builds our relationship as we talk to our father. It builds our relationship with our father. In prayer, we get to tell God what we want. And I love the way, what, the way Paul puts this in verse 6. In prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Do you see, he comes back again. It's almost like coming back to that rejoicing element. Because he's saying that focus on what God is doing. Focus on the good that he's doing. Focus on the things that you can give thanks for. You know, as, as people, we tend to focus on the bad, don't we? When things go wrong, we miss all the blessings that we have. You know, the truth is, statistically... If you're here in Australia and you're on basically sort of a minimum wage, you're still probably one of the 2% richest people in the world. I can guarantee just about all of you are in the top 2% of the richest people in the world, statistically speaking. There are that many people in other nations, in other countries that live in absolute and below the poverty line. That many. We have so much to be thankful for. But yet when our boss calls us into the office or books in a meeting that it's sort of impromptu we're thinking a whole world falls apart doesn't it ruins our weekend and a whole week can't talk to our wife can't talk to our family can't spend time with the kids we lose focus completely and when we come to God it's all about God you fix this for me just solve this problem and we forget to give thanks about God thank you for all these other things that you've blessed me with God encourages us to come and talk to him. It's his invitation to conversation. But he says, maintain perspective on what I've done for you and what I'm doing for you. I had some more about prayer, but for time's sake, I'm, I'm going to skip a bit of that. I've sort of tried to shortcut a little bit. I'm, um... Now, the truth is, the answer to anxiety, I think, is found in this small phrase at the end of verse 5. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Or the Lord is near. You see, the answer to the anxiety is understanding that God goes through it with you. That he's there with you and beside you. You know, he's not in the sort of just the same orbit or the same proximity or just close by. He's there with you. And the thing is, as you realize that he's there beside you, it makes it easy to talk to him. It makes it easy because he understands what you're facing. He gets it. And the thing is, 
when you understand the Father heart of God and that your Father is there beside you, the byproduct of exchanging worrying for prayer, for talking to our Father, is in verse 7. This is the outcome. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it's beyond logic, beyond rationale, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result of exchanging worrying for praying, for taking up the invitation that God gives us, is that beyond, even outside of the rationale, it doesn't make sense in the circumstance. People can't understand it, they can't fathom it. But yet, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, which is beyond what the, what the situation may be, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. What a promise. Now, many of us, I think, understand some of these truths, right? You've probably heard a lot of sermons on anxiety. You've probably heard some, you know, the importance of prayer and the benefits of prayer in the Christian life. And some of you practice, practic- practice it practically, others not so much. And you're missing out if you don't, trust me. But the thing is, when it comes to this, this issue of anxiety, I think there's a common misconception in the church that a lot of people perceive anxiety as sin. Now the thing is, anxiety can be sinful. For example, if I'm, if I'm anxious because I don't trust in a sovereign Lord, if I don't trust that he, he's in control, if I'm not you know, trusting in the hand of the Lord, that's, that's sin. If I'm anxious because I'm, 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 I'm in sin, I'm committing sin, if, I'm, if I've stolen something and then suddenly the police rock up at my door and suddenly anxiety hits me, well, that's a, that's a byproduct of sin. So anxiety can be sinful. But anxiety in and of itself is not always sin. Anxiety is actually a, a natural human response to coming danger. Like fear, when you experience fear, it means danger's present. It's a natural response. Your body's telling you, get out of there, run. Or put up your dukes and do something, right? Fight or fight. That's that sort of natural response. Anxiety is about danger that's coming, that hasn't arrived yet. Others, anxiety is, could be a psychological issue, or a chemical imbalance issue, or you know, a medical issue. That's certainly not sinful. But I think because of this misconception that's coming to the church that anxiety is sin, we don't freely come to God about it, do we? We don't take up this invitation. We think, hold on, I've got to overcome this first. I've got to deal with this in my life, and then I'll come back to God. I've got to overcome this problem, and then I'll come back and talk to God, or come back to church, or come back to ministry, or whatever it is. But can I say, if, if anxiety, if all anxiety was sin, then Christ sinned. Because the scripture tells us, Christ, just before he went to the cross, the garden of Gethsemane, that he was anxious. Luke twenty-two forty-four, And being in agony, that wasn't physical pain. He hadn't encountered any physical pain yet. He prayed more earnestly, and he sweat. This is the cool night of Israel, the cool breeze. It's not working out here, not doing push-ups. His sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. You see, our Savior, the God-man Christ, 
went through the greatest form of anxiety that medically, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the term, it says that the, the, the sweat glands open up and it, blood mixes in with it. It's a medical condition. Very rare. It happens under extreme anxiety and stress. Our Savior went through that. He gets what it means to be anxious. He gets what it means to be stressed. He gets what it means to have the burdens of life upon you. Watch what our Savior does. He goes to God through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. He makes his requests known to God. He says, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. What's the result of that? The byproduct is that peace that passes all understanding guarded his heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You see, Christ knew what was coming. After he comes to his Father through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, beyond all rationale, he doesn't defend himself when he's accused. He doesn't bring a whole legion of angels to destroy his accusers. He doesn't shout out, I'm innocent. I don't deserve this. I'm dying for the sins of others. He had every right to do that. But peacefully, that peace that's beyond understanding, beyond rationale, our Savior goes to the cross and doesn't raise a defense for himself. That peace apart, he practices it, doesn't he? He shows us what that means in his life. And what does he say, the last words that Christ says just before he dies? He says, Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You know why he says that? Remember that passage at the end of verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4? The Lord is at hand. Or as I like to put it, the Lord's holding my hand. He understood that the Lord was there holding his hand. And so he says right at the end, into thy hand I commit my spirit. See, friends, there's many reasons to be stressed and anxious, and I don't know what they are for you. But I guarantee that you face it, because it's a reality of life. But as Christians, as children of the Father, we have the opportunity to come to a loving Savior, a loving Father, and through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to exchange that anxiety for the peace that passes all understanding. I pray that you would take up the privilege of prayer today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the salvation and what a great salvation that you've given us, Lord. That you've given us the privilege to call you Abba Father, Lord. That we can come before your throne of grace, Lord. That we can come to you with our prayers and our pleas, Lord. That you're our high priest, Lord, that Father, I pray this morning for your people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that whatever anxieties and stresses that they may be facing, Father, they may look to you and take up the invitation that you've given each one of your children, Father, to bring those, those anxieties and those stresses to you. 
I pray that they would take up that privilege. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.